And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys coming to you live from Boulder, Colorado. My name is Sean Peter Mouser. And my name is Dr. Scott Bowen. And we are excited because of the <laughs> octave of Easter. It's not anymore. Is today technically the octave still? Yeah, dude. Sunday. Today being next Sunday when they're listening. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Us. Well, dude, let's be honest. People listen on Thursday. Yeah, I know. But we're, yeah. Okay. Is Sunday <laughs> still in the octave? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Or is, okay, wait. Yeah, Sunday's Sunday, in the octave. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, Friday, there's... Saturday. Sunday is the octave. Yep. No, yeah, Sunday is in the octave, Father Peter. Dude, that's awesome. I just could have counted. La, 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 la. <laughs> Uh, that being said, it is the... So wait, what is today? Is it the first Sunday, Sunday of, of Easter? The second Sunday of Easter. It's also the Sunday of Divine... It's Divine Mercy Sunday. Dude, which is... Which is, warms my little Polish soul. And it's also the Feast of St. Adelbert. <laughs> Just in case you, you have it. Adelberg or Adelbert? Bert, as in like Ernie. Bernie and Ert. Bernie and Ert. Bert and Ernie. Bernie and Ert, dude. Dude, okay, so I have to confess to you something. Tell me. That... um. I have been looking into single-walled canvas tents recently. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tell and, me more. And I was telling my dad about this. I was like, Dad, I've got this new obsession. I've been looking at single-walled canvas tents. Awesome. And he was like, dude, they." he's, he's like, what's Buy up? Buy a teepee. What up? Buy one from us. Mr. Yurt. And I was like, yurts are cool. I was like, but you're not talking about a yurt. I know what you're talking about. I feel you. Yeah, you feel me. But like, but I was like, Dad, I you're did investigate about... on how to actually build a yurt. Dude, yurts are awesome, but you would need a permit to do one in your backyard. You need a yurt permit. Oh, Boulder County does. You need a permit for everything in this town. What do you need a? For They're a yurt listening. Permit? They're listening to the podcast. Oh, they are, aren't they? It's the ma- dude. If we could get anybody to listen to this podcast, <laughs> I would be super stoked. Yeah, I know. Well, oh. you guys, you guys are listening. And um, speaking of yurts, speaking of yurts, <laughs> for all of those who have tuned into the podcast from a yurt, we are very excited to have I us here. I wonder if anyone is looking from a listening from a yurt. I love people. Can, somebody, somebody again recently told me something strange that they were doing while watching the listening to the podcast, and I love hearing. Keep sending us the weird things that you're doing, or the interesting things, or the mundane things that you're doing while listening to the podcast, because yep. it's kind of one of my favorite things. It really like that nuclear rocket engineer in Siberia, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, not Siberia, dude. That, I mean, like forever, he is embedded in our mind. <laughs> he is. It, he's the most you, exotic of you. When you get it, oh, that's your challenge. Beat him. Beat if you can beat the rocket scientist working in Kazakhstan. Then, as then far as the do. thing that you're doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it. you can do science while listening to the lanky guys. Your mind is expansive, bro. Or you just aren't really paying attention to us, which is probably for the best. <laughs> or your science. <laughs> or your science. One of the other, or the rockets I mean, that you're building. That's exactly it. Well, oh my. hey, uh, Second Sunday of Easter, Divine Mercy. Um, you know, obscure, uh, cloistered nun gets a feast declared in the Universal Church. God is kind. God bless Adalbert. That's Bert? not Adalbert, dude. What do you mean? Isn't that what you just St. said? St. Faustina did oh, the Divine oh, Mercy, well, bro. I know St. Faustina. Yeah, who cares what about St. Albert? Apparently the church does, because it's her feast day. His. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first, <laughs> our first reading this week is coming from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. <laughs> uh, okay, by the way, you guys, the best thing that you can do to any Catholic podcast is just turn it down to half speed. <laughs> just okay. our, Ours is particularly good. 
but Catholic stuff you should know. Catholic it stuff has you should be. know, and Father Baron are are currently our our favorites. Oh yeah, I feel like Father Mike Schmitz is just at normal speed. When you're <laughs> <slowing down. laughs> yeah, you slow down, and you're like, oh, I can process this. <laughs> I'm not overwhelmed. It's fun though, you guys. Uh, Psalm 118 verses two to four, 13 to 15, 22 to 24. That is a lot of jumping. With our responsicle coming from one. Numero uno. Well, you know what I like nope. is that there's somebody out there who thinks responsible is actually a uh, a word. They're they're going to Kroger and looking him up in the frozen food section. Our second reading is coming from First Peter chapter one verses three through nine. Hello, my name used to be Simon, and now my name is Peter. That's... You killed my savior. Prepare <laughs> to be saved. Our gospel today is from the Gospel of John. Yes. It's uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, um, the Gospel of John 20, verses 19 to 31. That Gospel from John was very thorough. is very good. <laughs> it is very, very good. You very told thorough. me it was the Gospel, so I wanted to make sure that we emphasized it. Well, thank you for doing that. I was that. trying to be very emphatic. I'm sure everyone's grateful for your emphaticness. Dude. Emphasis. Acts. Anyway, <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Okay. Um, A-X-E, Acts of the Apostles. No, it's not. Welcome to the medieval version. All right. Um, what do we say about this? There's Okay, I, I had so many thoughts about this first reading. This is, as usual, where the bulk of my thought processing went this week. And I hope that I can make some sense of some of the things I got excited about this week. Okay? Mm, me too. You ready for this? Yeah. All right, so they devoted themselves. The first thing we need to know. Oh, okay, I, I remember what, what I wanted to start with. All right, so our reading this week is coming hot hot on the heels of Peter's Pentecost speech. So um, to put you in context, Pentecost has just happened. Obviously, it hasn't happened liturgically yet because it won't nope. happen for 50 days. Penta, of course, means 50, right? So it comes 50 days after Easter. Is that in what case, the, why they call that one game with all the marble things? Penta? Penta. Is it? It's Pente. Pente. I think so. Sorry. I'm sure it's related to that. Okay. Anyway, but we're talking about Pentecost. So... Um, Pentecost has just happened, so remember we have the tongues of fire, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, all this stuff. They speak in tongues. And what happens when they speak in tongues? Do you remember what the what the kind of climax of the Pentecost event is? No. Because yeah, you do. They they have the Holy Spirit. They're cowering in the upper room, remember? The Holy Spirit falls upon them, they speak in tongues, they go out with boldness, and what happens? What's the response? Everybody gets baptized. How many? Uh three thousand were added to their number that day. Yeah, so that day Mikvah the day of, baths. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably right outside the temple, right? Yeah, yeah, the southern, so, southern stuff. Yeah. So three, <laughs> southern stuff. So three thousand people are added to the church that day. Now, I, for some reason, this really struck me. Right then, Peter gets up, he gives his speech, his Pentecost speech, telling the story of salvation history, who Jesus is, the gospel proclamation, and then Luke, or yeah, Luke writing Acts segues into chapter two, trying to describe in, in uh, this verse rather. Describe me, okay, what is it like for them? So when it says they devoted themselves, who is they? They just devoted themselves, the disciples and the apostles. Well, who is, how many people are we talking about? Because uh, I've never noticed this before, and I don't know if it makes that much of a difference to you or not, but I put the pieces together and all of a sudden it changed this for 3, me. 3,000? Well over 3,000, right? Because it just told you 3,000 people were added on that one day into the church, presumably more in between these periods of time. Right. So now we're, we're, we're not just dealing with this fledgling little group of apostles and a couple disciples, right? We're talking about we're a full-blown movement. We're dealing with thousands movement. of people. Right. Which, again, 
based on what it says in this communal life they're sharing and breaking bread together and and fellowshipping and selling one another's pro- selling their property to to care for one another once you're cuz you know how how big is this parish how big is St. Thomas Aquinas uh St. Thomas Aquinas uh, you have uh i mean uh let's say that on a weekend you can have anywhere between 1300 and 1500 people go to mass okay so we're talking almost three times that right Right, which just think about that, because again, I'd always read the Acts of the Apostles. This, this passage, I'm like, That's oh, it's this little, gr- this little tiny commune of people. Right. No, we're talking a lot of folks, which. For some reason, to me, that's even even stronger. That says this massive amount of people are actually able to share this common life together, because somehow there. I mean, I'm sure it's a it's a pain to to shepherd fifteen hundred people. Imagine shepherding four thousand people, and the apostles are trying to figure, and, and they're all coming into the faith from all sorts of different backgrounds, and they don't understand yet. And they're like, imagine you had just, uh, you know, we just had Easter, right? Imagine you baptized three thousand people at the Easter vigil, and oh, now you've man. got a parish that is just added 3,000 people, and you've got to not deal with them, but you know what I mean? Come, you've got to shepherd to this group of people and, now. I mean, so, so this is a big deal, and the reason... That's like an argument for me for why Jesus would do the scandal of particularity, why he would go to Israel, yes. is because you do have some of those cultural familial bonds existing, Yeah, and I wonder if some of that yeah. is actually starting to take place here. So that I think so. Those who are knowing each other, so that they're entering into the community, and they have some kind of basic level of relationality down, so that then they can inaugurate them into this lifestyle. Yeah. I wonder if that's, I think that's a part of it. it it's a little bit like trying to evangelize your friends. You're like, yeah, we, we hang out, we play FIFA. FIFA? Uh, that's a video game. Oh, it's also the like World Federation of Soccer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a soccer video game. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so we get together and we play FIFA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, but now here's a new lifestyle. You got to come over to Drogo's and hang out and go to a Bible study and uh, get inaugurated, go to, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings with us and fat check and the fat check. Yeah, it does. It does kind of add a different dimension, though, doesn't yeah, it? It does. It adds a, a very large dimension, which is why I think so. There's something I've never noticed before, but I kind of went back to the, to the original Greek with this. And when it says, so our translation that you're going to hear at Mass says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to communal life and the breaking of bread into prayers. So they devoted themselves essentially to four things. But the term for they, they devoted themselves, in, in Greek it's eson uh, proskateruntes, uh, which is a mouthful. Um, but you can translate that not just as they devoted themselves, but they they persisted in, they persevered in, mm-hmm. which implied, so in, in the original language, it implies a little bit of struggle, Yeah. which is interesting because this kind of lays out this idealized image of the early church. Everything is great. Everybody's sharing and they're getting along and everyone's happy, you know, and it's, it's this amazing, everything is super kind of a thing. But the fact that he begins by pointing out, no, they persevered in these things tells us that it wasn't easy because there's a lot of people and different mindsets and and personalities and bonds and all the baggage that we all bring into it. But they persevered in the teaching of the apostles. They persevered in this communal life to the breaking of bread. And of course, breaking of bread is, is Luke's shorthand for what? The Eucharist, like yeah. you're celebrating the Mass. Yeah, they're not just getting together and, and sharing meals. They're doing no, that, exactly, n- no doubt, but they're talking about the right. um, the Eucharist and to the prayers. And it said, awe came upon everyone and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles because, again, presumably because they persevered in these things. 
because I, I don't I don't know, and I, I've always sort of been bothered by this passage. It's so well known right. for people who know Acts. Because it's these four fundamental things, and it just looks like, again, this this perfect little community of everybody gets along and everything is great. But for some reason, the persevering really struck me this morning. Yeah. Because it's hard to keep following the apostles' teaching. It's hard to live the communal life, to fellowship. Quenonia is what it says in Greek. Yeah, the, the there's something severe about it all. Yeah, especially if you're dealing with a number as big as we're probably dealing with. And yeah. because... Read it differently now. Because, like, 4,000 people are persevering in these things, what? Awe came upon everybody. <laughs> this huge number of people is able to share this common life together. Whoa. I mean, and many uh, wonders were done through the apostles because of this. I mean, I, I'm thinking about CU. Imagine 4,000 yeah. people at CU all of a sudden are freaking rocking in the same direction yeah. and are selling their stuff and supporting each other. Yeah. You, you would that be would like, cause awe to fall upon the people. Everybody would be like, man, who, like, what the? That's exactly right. And that's the better way to read this. Um, there, there's actually an illusion in here when it says, where, what, where was it? I thought I was seeing something funny. <laughs> Not illusion. Uh, illusion. But when it talks about this communal life and sharing all their property and selling their property and possessions and dividing it among each other, you know, we, we hear that. And, and sometimes there's, there's people who read the Bible in a negative sense. Like, oh, it's like communism and this commune kind of a deal and all that. I am not a Marxist and an analyst. But there's a different, um, there's something different that the ancients would be hearing. Because this actually resonated with ancient Greek literature. So Plato talked about this ideal in his Republic of people before kind of politics being in communal living together, sharing that which they had. Um, there's there's other writings of the time that talked about this ideal city, the ideal republic in Plato and some other places, mm. which I think Luke is clearly pulling from. He's saying, look, all these things that our society has aspired to and longed for, it's here. It's not some idealized mm. thing in Plato's Republic. It's right here in Jerusalem today. So he is actually drawing on some literature. He's using the same language that Plato and Aristophanes and some other people use to describe this. Really? So he's putting it in idealized language, but I think he's doing it to show, yeah, yeah, this is everything you've always wanted. Which is interesting to me. I've never noticed that before either. Dude, that's that, you're like pulling out insights. Here, I know. Man. It's cool. And so it says they, what do they do? They devote themselves to meeting together in the temple area. I, I, I'm struck by the fact they're not meeting in the temple anymore. Because Luke wants to point out to you, Luke, of course, wrote Acts. He wants to point out to you that the temple is now obsolete. There's no sacrifice anymore, or at least right. no legitimate sacrifice. They're meeting in the temple area. Which would be like the Southern Steps, which could actually handle that many thousands Absolutely. of people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, my, my bet is that is that's actually how they were hanging. In the temple, yeah. Is the, the Southern, southern Steps. Southern steps. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, which, ha having been there, I'm like, no, you could support. This makes sense. You could support a thousand people, like that's cool, chilling out, and they're like, what are these people doing? And then because you can baptize there as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool, and which they're probably still doing. You know, we don't get the impression that okay, Pentecost happens, the baptisms are done. No, I mean, presumably, and because it, it said in this last line, every day the Lord is adding to the number of those who are being saved. Right, because. I bet people saw Peter and like were encouraged to live out of the spirit and the spirit would doesn't like to just be um exclusive this yeah. the spirit's promiscuous. <laughs> yeah. To put it bluntly that's that's true. Right. Yeah. Now again we're we're kind But of, we wait for Peter. Yeah. In the same way we waited at the tomb last week. Yeah, that's right. That's we right. We wait for Very Peter good. to actually make declaration and then we go. 
Yeah, which is funny because I, I'm, well, we'll get to Peter more in a second. More on, more on that soon. If you call me a moron one more time. Ah. <laughs> which is a good lead into Psalm 118. Psalm 118, what, what do we say about <laughs> Psalm 118? Moron? No. No, 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 not that. I don't know. I, I, I'm putting words into people's mouth. And I, I'm, I, the psalm is a beautiful, it's a beautiful psalm. Again, we're in the tail end of the, well, we're, we're about halfway through toward the second half of the Psalter. Which, if you remember pedagogically, what the Psalter is doing, the Psalter being all the psalms together. Yeah, it's it's, it's adding a, a lot of flavor to the rest of the scriptures. Ah, I see what you did there. But the second half of the Psalter is really looking forward to when the Messiah is going to come. The Psalter's probably been compiled during this very dark time in Israel's history, anticipating a time when God's going to come and set things right. Right. And so I imagine, and remember, by this point in the in the story of Acts, we're in the ministry to the Jewish people. We haven't we haven't started to go out toward the ends of the earth yet. That we talked about last week, remember, in chapter 10 and 11, right. they start to go out. And now we're just the Jewish people who know the Psalms and they know salvation history. And I wonder if what's on their lips when they're meeting together in the temple area on the southern steps, praising God, is saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love is everlasting, which would have been one of the most well-known of the Psalms. I imagine them all singing this, saying, oh, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what the Psalms have been alluding to. We've gotten, he's, he's been faithful to his people. Everything the prophets promised, he's finally done. Yeah. So... Let the house of Israel say his mercy endures forever, and the house of Aaron say his mercy endures forever. Those who are far and those who are near, let us say all these things. We were hard-pressed and failing, but the Lord helped me. Because it's the Jewish people who've been brought into covenant family with Jesus Christ, they're going through. This psalm is appropriate because it goes through salvation history and shows how God has been faithful to what he promised to do. And it's all these people gathering on these southern steps saying, yeah, and we're living it. We are dwelling in the midst of that faithfulness, which is why I think it's kind of a, a fitting psalm for today. Yeah, the the line that really kind of like jumped out at me is the stone that which the builders has rejected mm. has become the cornerstone. Yeah, precisely because we're we're living in this kind of post apocalyptic moment. All of creation has. You mean we or the the disciples then? Yes. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, they have actually witnessed a the the earth shattering event. Literally, because there were earthquakes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and the <clears throat> temple was the temple veil was torn torn in two. Do you think they all know that? Like, how public of knowledge do you think that was, dude? I think that because that... if I were the high priest and like the Sanhedrin, I wouldn't want anybody to know that the veil ripped. Uh, my bet in the is that there were conversions that came out of that precisely out of the priestly oh, class, and that part that's... of the three thousand came uh-huh. and they and they were testifying. Oh, that's interesting. And so that in the midst of all of this is that we, we saw this happen. We saw this happen, and I, and I bet you that people were going. I mean, how do you convince three thousand people? You rip a veil. No, I mean, like really, <laughs> you, like. The, the the holy of holies and like huh. saying like the prophecy of the temple came true. Yeah. The, yeah. Like I'll tell you, prophecy and fulfillment is one of the most powerful realities that we have. Yeah, that's true. You, you know, you, you, uh, uh, pro-lifers were always pointing towards the prophetic nature of humana vitae. Yes, absolutely. We're saying, look. But at, it's all hindsight, you know. 
Well, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, for us, it's hindsight. For them, it was foresight. But even at the time, yeah. But I, I mean, Paul the Sixth was so rejected, and those words were so rejected when they were written. Right. And now that we've seen the culture of death and what the sexual revolution did, we're all looking back and be like, oh yeah, Pope Paul the Sixth was right about contraception. He was prophetic. Right. But sometimes it takes that looking back. Exactly, and that's why yeah. I think yeah. I think that they're they're a kind of apocalyptic witness in then. Being able to live out of saying like, no, look, the stone which the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. Yeah. That it, it, a certain sense, like they're huh. they're seeing the the profound movement away from the temple. Well, and they're out in front of the temple. I mean, talking about the stone, stone that the builders that rejected, rejected out front of the temple that it's referring to. I know. Like, wow, that's pretty audacious. And and now the stone, a, a, aka the temple mount itself, has been rejected. Ooh. So there's something really well, like inverted. Well, does that work though? No, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> it it doesn't work. But because it's inverted, I see what you're saying. But but whereas Jesus, we know Jesus is the stone that was rejected. It has become but the he's cornerstone. He's become the cornerstone. Yeah, but but now and we now, understand. In turn, this temple has been rejected. Yes, oh, that's interesting. That's why. That's why the temple being the the veil being torn in two. They're like we're living in a new world. We ain't got nothing to worry about. God has witnessed for us to wow. the very leadership to everyone. The thought that there are priests and like Sanhedrin Pharisees among that number is just a fascinating thought. Because I, I don't know, I, at least I do. I feel like we have this perception that this early church, they're just totally ragtag and, you know, they're these nobodies and just kind of, and I'm sure there's plenty of those. But the thought that it's it's some of the powerful as well who realize, no, yeah. I'm on the wrong side of things. We crucified the wrong man. I am going to give myself totally to this. I, it's just a, because who's in Jerusalem? Well, there's a lot of pilgrims that were there for the feast at Pentecost. But there's also a lot of the the upper class and the leadership and the religious teachers. Dude, I just That's imagine. A fascinating thought. I imagine Peter. I imagine Longinus, the Roman mm, centurion. The centurion being there. Preaching on the southern steps. Oh, and everybody's man. like nervous to listen to this man. <laughs> witness to the messianic nature. We, uh, I imagine Cornelius is out there. I yeah. imagine that, th- like, well, we he have... comes later. He doesn't come until chapter. Oh, 11. that's right, Cornelius. But he would have been there. Um, Jarius, the court official whose son mm-hmm. was healed. You, uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is probably there, dude. I mean, John's gospel. And when you get that Gosh, many thousands cool. of Zacchaeus, people, Zacchaeus maybe. Zacchaeus is out oh, there. This dude. Is, that's kind of cool, dude. I've, how have we never rubbing seen... shoulders with like Mary Magdalene? Oh yeah, and and, and Mary of Bethany and and, and these people, Mary of Nazareth, Lazarus, who still stinks of death a little bit. Yeah, he, like this total. Oh man, which is this icon of the church, the universality of dude. Why has there this. never been an epic painting of this? There really should be, because this is a this is an amazing scene, dude. This if is you get, if you really, do it justice. This is really beautiful, even to meditate on. And I'm annoyed, kind of, that I've never noticed that when we're talking about this group, it's a massive group, right? Because it literally is coming right from that. So that being said, First um, Peter. First Peter is 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 like a really codified version of of like like a real sweet and condensed codified version of what's happening. Do you know why? No, because I mean that's even that's an interesting insight. So First Peter, I mean, think about what's happened, and and again, our first reading is coming right after Peter's, well, uh, what's probably Peter's very first homily. Right. Right. Because Absolutely. he hasn't gotten the spirit yet, and maybe maybe he's kind of been hanging around and 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 trying to keep up with Jesus. But I mean, he's been cowering in fear. This is probably the first time he has preached, um, where we get this story coming, you know, right after that. 
First Peter is believed to have been, th- this is Peter now writing toward the end of his life. And he has been preaching for a long time now. And he has been living out his apostleship for a long time and meditating and thinking through these things and looking back with that hindsight and reflecting on all that had happened. So the very fact that you, the first thing you said was, it's this sweetened kind of codified reflected upon version of what we just read makes sense because mm. this is Peter after having reflected and sweetened and, and thought through all of these things toward the end of his life. Clarified. Now, people say there, there's no way that Peter actually wrote the epistle of first Peter because it sounds so different than Peter usually sounds, which is a silly argument because of course, the, if it is written decades later after he has had time to reflect on all of this and live this out, yeah, it should sound. I sure hope he doesn't sound like the brazen, ear-cutting-off, crazy fisherman of the Gospels. We should all grow up and reflect and meditate and become holier, right? Which is what he's doing, and really, what it's doing is reflecting back on that event. Dude, that's interesting. I, I uh, last night I was just preaching at the candlelight mass about uh, you know uh, real elements of my testimony, mm. but like in a deepened. And I mean, it's like twenty years ago now. You know, that's crazy. It's 20 years ago that all of this kind of beautiful movement of spirit took place. And I just was reflecting on it anew in the midst of this community saying like, what of what was what was that call like? I, I mean, it's like Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. I was reflecting on Mary Magdalene, and sh- here she is, and she's reflected back the moment where she looks in the tomb, and the two angels are sitting there, and then she's talking with the gardener, yeah. and then she's running back, and you're just you're just in this gardener place. being in air quotes. Yeah, air quote of of um, an understanding that. We need to really dig in and reflect back on the graces that have taken place within our lives. And this yeah. is like we actually get a sweet and condensed version of Mary Magdalene. I'm sure I keep thinking of condensed milk. I know that's I don't know if it's sweet condensed that. milk. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Like, um, it, uh, I, I just am thinking like she goes back to the apostles and everybody, and she's like, Hey, everybody, I saw the thing. I looked at the thing. And like, she does not have it worked <laughs> out because she's like totally adrenalized. And like, then there was the gardener, but he wasn't really the gardener. He was really Jesus. And she said, Mary, and she said, rub an eye. And like, everybody's like going back and like reflecting. But, but also, then over time, she, she understands the element and can clarify the story and the truth of what's actually taken place. There's also, I have to think this, this concept, cause you referred to it earlier, Mary is running back because she has this certain trust that I I don't and maybe it's maybe she doesn't and maybe it's not explicit maybe I'm reading too much in but I like to imagine she has this trust that Peter will know what to do mm. even though Peter's again this kind of crazo he's been called Satan by Jesus he cut off a guy's ear you know he denied Jesus but Peter will know what to do mm. so I have to get well. Although is Peter even yeah Peter's around yeah because he but, runs but, back and so it's not just I don't think it's just her saying oh this is crazy I need to tell people about it it's I need the guidance of the apostles we need to work this out I need to hear what they have to say because I understand on some level who the apostles are even if that hasn't been fully worked out yet which it will be I don't know that it's interesting to me yep so that's actually a good uh, that is a good transition into John twenty T Diddy. Dude, Poor the twin, Thomas. man. Thomas Didymus, dude. Okay, I have a I have a big theological question for you, so you better wake up because I have a big one coming at you pretty soon. Okay, okay. Get ready for it. Okay. We, it. We're not there yet. All right, there's two major things going on here. 
Um, number one, well, let's start with the last. Number two, the second big thing that's going on here is doubting Thomas, right? The story of him. So Jesus appeared to them. Okay. Oh, by the well, uh, we'll get there. Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead. Did, of myself. Didimus means twin, by the way. I'm getting excited. Okay, so on the evening of the first day of the week, of that first day of the week, so what day is it when Jesus appears? Uh, it would be uh, Saturday. Nope. The first day of the week. Sunday. But which Sunday? Uh, next Sunday. No. First Sunday of Easter. It is Easter Sunday. Okay. So it's Easter. So on the evening of that first day, sorry, I kind of set you up for disaster, but in context, if you're following where John 20 is, okay, it's Easter Sunday still. So it's the day of the resurrection, but everyone's confused, right? Mary Magdalene has presumably already come back. People are, they, they haven't found his body, but they're like, but maybe somebody stole it. But the, 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 the burial cloths were folded up really neatly, which tells me that maybe, why would a thief fold up the cloths really neatly? Because that would have been the most aside? valuable thing that would have been yeah, present like, there. What, what, so they're, they're flipping out. They're like, what is going on? So the, the doors are locked because they're freaking out. They're like, what on earth? Which, by the way, I looked up the, the, the doors are locked oh, or yeah. the doors are shut. Yeah. And the, um, the, the reference that makes the most sense to me um, was straight out of Genesis when they shut the doors into the ark. Oh, I know. Isn't that an interesting? Really, it, isn't it an interesting t- reflection to think huh. about the this they, 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 they're in the ark? Well, think of the irony. Because what is the ark? The ark is the thing that holds the presence of God. What's trying to get into the locked room where the apostles are? The presence of God. It's like, let me in, guys. Right. Isn't it ironic, though? Because that's what goes in there. It's, You've locked it prematurely. Right. It's and, like you lock the tabernacle before you put the Eucharist back in. And it's oh, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. You need that in there. Like there, there's that's a, interesting. There's a contrast there. There's a lot there. Yeah, that I thought, oh, that's huh. cool. A kind of cool, unique use of that word. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't need the lock, so he just showed up and and stood in their midst, right? And he said, "Peace be with you." And when he had peace, said this, peace. Did you notice that? that it was, oh, hold on. There we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, the peace. That's exactly what the dove. Shalom. Shalom. The that the the raven they sent a dove and it didn't have the olive branch and then the From raven Noah's ark Noah's ark because uh-huh. they were shut in and and the, it needed to oh, actually they were break shut through in. oh that's good you know what I'm saying so, so the Lord broke through and said Peace. look at you with your connect this is those are those are two really cool connections yeah it's an interesting thing those are both really cool um okay so he comes wow that's really cool I've never the family of even God and that. then but then like because what what actually happened is death was destroyed. Not death being capitalized, but yet they are afraid of death, but and they, they don't quite understand what the death and resurrection really meant. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because they're actually more. Of, so, this is the irony to me. Okay. Now that the resurrection has actually taken place, they're more afraid. They're more afraid of death when they than they were when Jesus was still with them in the public ministry before death was defeated. Remember when they were like, we're not afraid, we'll stick with you always, and we'll be there until the death, and blah, 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 blah. And then they were like, uh-oh. Right. This, but, they actually mean to kill him. Yeah, it's fascinating. So he says, peace be with you, the dove. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the wounds that are still there. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And in response to their rejoicing, he said to them, peace be with you. It's a second time, right? As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, who sins... You forgive or forgiven them whose sins you retain and retained. This is the same thing that Jesus says, at least in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, Jesus says this at the Last Supper. Right. But here he says it uh, presumably again. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm guessing it's the same time. It's it's a similar thing. You know, there's an interesting uh, sort of theology on what's going on here. I I don't. This raises a different question that I've never known the answer to. Do you think the apostles were baptized? Yes. Okay. They probably were. I, I just don't know. If, if nothing but, else, I mean, they were in the washing of the feet. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. I don't know. But there's an analogy, at least, at the very least, there's an analogy going on here with baptism in that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit right now, right, from Jesus. But that Holy Spirit will not be activated in them until Pentecost, and it's an analogy that the church has used to describe what confirmation is. We're celebrating some confirmations here at the parish tonight, right? Which is not just we're confirming our faith and we're given the like the thumbs up that says we're Catholic. Right. No, no, no. It's it's the Holy Spirit that was given to you in baptism. At confirmation, it is it is activated in a new way. The church talks about it as the Holy Spirit unto strength. Which is the same thing that happens between here and Pentecost. They receive the Holy Spirit here in a real way. But they're still afraid, and they're still cowering, and it's it's still they're still struggling. At w- Pentecost, that same spirit is then activated, and they are all of a sudden empowered unto strength to go out and proclaim in tongues to all the nations. I wonder if there's a similarity to RNA and DNA. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I'm not totally sure what those and, mean. And uh, and then like the um, unfolding of DNA within certain moments and, and hormones and stuff. I don't understand it well enough to know. But I, I don't either. I mean, if maybe anybody has a reflection in, on that. Yeah. Kyrgyzstan can tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Karakistan. But yeah, regardless, the, the, the it's confirming the the fullness of grace. And this is, again, Jesus giving them the authority to, um, to perform confession, right? To confer the sacrament of confession. Whoever sins so, you are forgived, they are forgived. So here's my Whoever question. Whoever sins you are retaining... Here's what's retaining. Here's what's bothered me all day long. Bother me up, dude. Okay. Okay. Does Thomas have the authority to forgive sins in confession? Because he wasn't there. He wasn't present. He's one of the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles have the authority to do this, but he wasn't there. Well, what do we do? Do you see the Do you see the struggle I've had all day? Yeah, I mean, because you would probably then go back to the descending of the Spirit upon the seventy elders and having a dad and me dad outside the camp having an e, having oh, having an outpouring of the Spirit, going. even though they were not present for the synaxis for the for the for the the gathering. Oh wow, what an interesting connection! You just pulled that out of your hat. Yeah, I I just. So, so like, so, so would there be? There is an Old Testament analogy to that, though. There is an Old Testament well analogy. Well played. I didn't even consider that. Really? No, didn't even cross my mind. Uh, yeah, I don't. And, and I mean, I assumed that, that he does have the authority to do that. I always just think of Adad and Medad because they got such good names. That is pretty cool. There's also the fact that presumably Jesus also did this at the Last Supper. Yeah, which Although, is, which, uh, that's the question. Yeah. Anyway, I just was thinking about Thomas, because not only does he miss out on seeing Jesus, because then he shows up and he's like, well, I won't believe until I stick my hands into the wounds. But not only does he miss out on seeing Jesus, he misses out on receiving the Holy Spirit and being given the authority and being to bind and lose upon. sins and being breathed upon. What do we do with that ecclesially? Is it possible then, yeah, is it possible, like you said, a la Old Testament, that he receives it nevertheless? Or is it possible that one of the apostles can confer that upon him? Or that Jesus, when he did the sides and hands... Does it then? Does it then? Isn't it kind of an interesting question, though? It's an excellent question. I'd never considered it until now. So, in fact, we have one-twelfth of the clergy to this day uh, that has no ability to hear sin and forgive it. Actually, two-twelfths. 
uh, which is one sixth, <laughs> because Judas is also gone. Dude, and they haven't replaced him yet. Actually, when my brother, uh, there, there's Catholic-Hierarchy.org, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, it's a, a, a historical record of bishops. Yeah, and dude, talk about big data. It's the best, most exciting big data that exists in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And um, uh, my brother actually it was as he was tracking uh, apostolic succession, a huge portion of the bishops to this day. Uh, uh, can trace their bishop extension from one bishop who his ministry in the Middle Ages, like 1700s, okay. was literally just to go ordain bishops because <laughs> there because there were no bishops around because really? there was like this huge the plague. Yeah, presumably, this, presumably. So wow. his whole gig. So then he uh, he's like this huge linchpin for wow. all of the apostolic succession That's that exists to this day. Well, and we also know that at Pentecost, remember, at, or no, it's just before Pentecost, right? The apostles do um, ordain Mattathias as their successor of, or the replacement of Judas. So presumably the apostles also have the authority to do this. That's the breath. That's interesting. That's the breath of Jesus. So what, did, what did Jesus' breath smell like is my question. Uh, butterflies. Fish. <laughs> Fish. Tic Tacs. Well, he he asked for a piece of fish. He did, but that doesn't mean his breath smells like it. I know. There's got to be something about a glorified body that would somehow <laughs> work through the fish smell of breath. Dude, I came back for uh, from uh, the Easter vigil back to the house, and the whole kitchen smelled like fish. Really? Yeah. Why? Father Mbala had had cooked some fish. fish. That makes and, sense. But but like I just felt like it was the right. It was like that's right. It was a very biblical smell. Yeah, that is right. Because we were in the upper room, I didn't put it together till just now. Does anybody have cool. a piece of fish? Father Mala does. I guess he does. So I always, I feel like this is my perennial statement. I always feel like Thomas gets a bad rap because because my name is T Diddy, T. Diddy and I got a bad rhyme because all these people are getting on my behind for not being there, <laughs> getting the Holy Spirit. Yo, it's well, cool. Don't fear it. I got not the why he gets relationship a bad rap, with the Lord. But that's not why he gets a bad rap. It's because he doubts, right? But, okay, so take He doubts this. and he pouts, and he <sighs> took another route, but he came back in a circuitous manner. That's good. Yeah. That was well done. I'm trying to... I don't know if this works. I'm just thinking out loud. But I've been trying to relate that, that first word from the first reading in Acts, that they persisted in these things, and they persevered in these things, back with Thomas. Because... Thomas doesn't jet. He doesn't take off. He's 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 doubtful, I guess. He's skeptical. He needs it proven. Snarky. He's a little snarky, but but he's he's also persistent. And the very fact that he's still there says something about him. I I want to I mean, here's the thing. His response in a certain sense is a very Catholic response. And what I didn't get when I was running in my sort of more Protestant circles right. is how tactile and tangible and, and material the faith actually is. That there is food and drink and water and smells and oils and things that are all very tactile. What Thomas is saying is, I need that which is tactile, which is precisely what Christ gives us in the church. Because he knows that in a certain sense, we're all like Thomas. We really need, I need to hear the words you are forgiven said in my ear by a human voice, even though God can very well forgive my sins 
however he likes. You I need to forgiven. taste something on my tongue to believe that it's Jesus. I need to feel the waters in the holy water font to remind me of my baptism because those physical tactile things rejuvenate my memory and they bring me to reality. So in a certain sense, what Thomas is asking for is what Christ grants all of us who are Catholic. It's what we all need. Mm -hmm. Thomas just has the guts to say, I really need this. Mm -hmm. Which, in a certain sense, that's beautiful to me. Now, again, he's a little bit snarky and he... Right. You know, what what does he say? Blessed is he who has not seen and has still believed. Right. Which, you know, I can think of even family members who... You know, I, I had this long... Oh, I've had such a long road of questioning things in the faith and wrestling with them and struggling and arguing with things and finally coming to terms with believing what the church believes, right? Right. But I I have a, a, a jealousy in a certain sense of my family members and people who don't have to have those struggles and don't have to wrestle with those things and work it out. And I don't think it's a weaker faith in a certain sense. Sometimes maybe it's a stronger faith that they don't need to have that wrestling. They just trust in a way that I can't. And maybe that's beautiful. But at the same time, God understands me, and then I need to wrestle, and I need to struggle, and he gives me the access to those things as well. And so he understands, yeah, Thomas needs this. Right. He need, Blessed are you who don't need this. Mm-hmm. Praise be to God for that. But Thomas needs it, and so I'm going to give it to him because I love Thomas. It's Christ showing his love to Thomas, which I think we miss in this story. Yeah. I'm giving Thomas what he needs because I know Thomas loves me, but he needs a little help. And that just comforts me greatly. Because I picture Christ saying, I know that Scott wants to love me, so I'm going to give him what he needs as well. Mm. At least I hope for that, and I pray for that. Yeah. Because, again, Christ says, Thomas is persevering in this. He's doing his best, and he's struggling. So I'm going to give him what he needs. Well, we hope that today this podcast is what you needed. Oh. And that uh, we are participating in some way that uh, in the providential love of God in your life. Indeed. So, I. Uh, uh, celebrate Easter. Celebrate. And Oh, the other thing I wanted to say, of course, oh. what is today? What is the day that this podcast is 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 talking about? Emmaus Day? No, the, the second the, the the second Sunday, so the eighth day. I forgot to mention it. When does Jesus reappear and let Thomas poke his hands into the holes? It says eight days later. So uh. Thomas is doing this precise on the exact day that we are reading about it which is just interesting for you to keep in mind as we hear these things at Mass. It's to the day when Christ provided for for him. It's eight days later. It's the octave, which I just thought was kind of a neat connection. Dude, that's a really Really doesn't match up that cleanly. So that being said. Dude, you're awesome. You're awesome, Father Peter. Well, you You guys guys are are awesome awesome for listening. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Listen to it at half speed. It'll take you twice as long, and you'll think we're totally wasted. Yeah, but listen to Bishop Aaron because he's actually funnier than us, and Catholic stuff you should know, guys too. We're all pretty funny. Yeah, and thanks for everybody, um, for your love, your prayers. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.